What we quickly realized that it was going to be an amazing journey is that our values were the same. Right. So like at any time where we had to pull an all nighter, we would, um, you know, that we both were able to think big picture and also like sleep on the ground in foreign countries together, you know, for a week at a time. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the Skim from a Couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? So please welcome Shilpa Shah and Carla Gallardo, the co-founders of Quiana, to the couch. Shilpa started her career in interaction design, and she spent more than 15 years building web and mobile interfaces for Fortune 500 companies before she met Carla. Carla was raised in Ecuador in a family that encouraged living a life with fewer, better things. Flash forward a couple years and a short career in finance, and that idea of fewer, better things is the inspiration behind the fashion brand she started with Shilpa. And their idea resonates. Earlier this year, Carla and Shilpa closed their Series C round of funding. Congratulations, guys, and welcome to the couch. Thank you. Thank you so much. excited to be here. We are thrilled to have you. So... We're going to go back to the basics before we get into all the all the meaty stuff. Uh, so first, Carla, just skim your resume for us. Quick skim. Um, so I was actually born in Boston, raised in Ecuador, moved to the U.S. for college, applied mathematics, Bachelor of Science. After college, I ended up in New York, lived here for three years, uh, worked at Goldman Sachs doing banking. Um, incredible experience, lots of Excel models and uh, long hours. And it Sounds was, like my nightmare. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was to me. It I'm, was, like, I'm listening to you talk, and I'm like, these are things like, I would never say. That is so funny, and those are things that get me so excited. Uh, <laughs> But uh, no, I always say without that training, there's no way, um, you know, I could be pulling all the all-nighters at a startup. It was just like, it was a preview of. Um, but there's always been this more creative um, social side of me that was missing during those years. Um, so three years after um, I started my job um, at Goldman, I decided to leave to start Kuyana, which was an idea that um, had been boiling up since 2001 when I moved to the U.S. Before starting it, though, I uh, got my MBA from Stanford and uh, basically built up a toolkit of fundamentals um, on how to start a business. Took a quick stint at Apple for about eight months and learned uh, everything I wanted to learn about e-commerce and running an online business, and then was ready to leave and get started. So sad how you're not impressive. I know. <laughs> did that, did really that toolkit actually help when you started your own business? Oh, definitely. I will say there was this one class that was a year-long class, which basically was how to start a business from scratch, from like building your business model all the way to pitching to real investors. And that was probably the best class I took. In fact, through that class, I also met Shilpa because she was ah. the visiting student, well, prospective student, and she sat in that class. Uh, so it was like that, you know, that whole thing yeah. was meant to be. So tell <laughs> us one thing we can't find out about you from looking on LinkedIn. Oh, my gosh. I think I have a creative side that I've really started to explore during Kuyana and um, that I 
I'm really passionate about. I thought that I was never the person that would create things from scratch or have really creative and awesome innovative ideas. And it's been a muscle that I've been exercising in the past eight years and that I feel um, that I, you know, I really excel at um, as long as I balance it out with the numbers. But in my personal life, I am, um, you know, I have, it's it's a completely different me. Uh, my bills pile up. Thank God for my husband. Uh, I, I just, you know, love to have fun, be in the sun, not wear sunblock, and uh, <laughs> drink lots of wine. <laughs> that is great. Okay, Shilpa, give me your resume. Um, so similar to Carla, I think um, we both have like a really good balance of like the tech and creative. Um, we always joke that um, I wanted to study graphic design. Carla wanted to study fashion design. So like good immigrant children, we studied computer science and math. So I actually um, started uh, just really loving layout and design through high school, um, ended up going to Berkeley as an undergrad, and they just really had no practical application of a graphic design program at all. It was all theory. Um, so I ended up designing my own major and accidentally somehow created a degree in human-computer interaction. So cognitive science, it was um, 1996. Who like, are you? <laughs> um, and I just combined like all of the things that I loved. I'm nodding as if I understand what that things, means. Um, yeah. yeah, so basically um, I loved design with um, objectivity, so like design with purpose. And so originally was really fascinated with advertising, but advertising was all about selling a specific product. And so UI design, which is what I ended up doing, was basically designing to make things easier for people to use. So I got into a space that was designing technical interfaces to help consumers actually navigate technology. And I did that for um, 10 years and was very lucky to come out in the market um, starting my career at the top like the height of the dot-com bubble, which quickly then burst um, six months later, but was able to kind of ride that trajectory and stay in the field for 10 years before I went back to business school, um, which was a complete kind of left turn for me. Um, so I thought I would go on to get a master's in design because that's what I was passionate about. But what I realized in working in consulting and design for so long is that so many of the products that you work your butt off in designing never make it to market. And that had nothing to do with the design or the technology. It really had to do with business understanding as to why products launch or not. And that's what I went to school to go learn. Um, and I just wanted to put products to market. That's what I was passionate about. And along the way, I met Carla. And she's like, let's do this fashion thing. And I'm like, OK, that's a product. Um, but the more really exciting thing for me about the Guyana story was we owned every touch point of the customer journey. So there was going to be a box experience, a retail experience, um, a brand experience online, on social. And that part was really um, amazing to me to design that entire journey. Can you tell us about the name? What does Kiana mean? So Kiana means to love. Um, and it really is at the center of everything that we do. So loving what you wear, loving how it's made, loving when you wear it. I think now we're talking a lot about sparking joy, um, but that's always been at the core of Kuyana. It's not about minimalism, but really about fewer, better things, which is finding pieces that you truly love. We truly love your pieces. So yeah. <laughs> they have sparked joy for us. Yeah. One of the I want to switch gears for a second. So one of the biggest things that we get asked about, and I'm sure you guys get asked as well, is what is it like to have a co-founder? We always say it's a little bit like a marriage. You go through all the very similar, I want to say all the same, very similar difficult conversations and you commit to making something work. I want to hear about how you guys decided that you should go into this together. How did you know that you were the ones? 
You want to start, Shilpa? <laughs> um, who gets to tell the story this I know. time? Usually, <laughs> yeah, usually I start. Let's change it up. You start this one. <laughs> um, I, I couldn't agree more. There's like so much that goes into making this decision. I think we had a really great bond in working on a project together, and we vibed a lot on that level. But at the fundamental core of it, like you still are kind of dating the first six months, right, when you're starting a business. And what we quickly realized that it was going to be an amazing journey is that our values were the same. Right. So like at any time where we had to pull an all nighter, we would, um, you know, that we both were able to think big picture and also like sleep on the ground in foreign countries together, you know, for a week at a time. Like those kinds of like that, like hardworking culture was the same. And and with that and also like being able to, to collaborate, like the creative side, we knew that that was a winning combination. And even though there were going to be obstacles along the way, that if we approached it with the integrity and respect and kindness, that we could survive all of those challenges. Where do you think that work ethic comes from? Is it the same for you guys? Do you have similar motivators? I think we do. You know, we don't take things for granted. I think it comes all the way back to um, all the hard work our parents uh, and the generations before our parents did and to, you know, and, and us being in the in the position where we are and basically having every opportunity in the world at our fingertips and being able to choose and actually, you know, really devote ourselves to building something incredible. I think it's rooted really in just how we were raised. And that's something that, um, and we, we say, you can't teach people to want to uh, be driven to work hard. And uh, and look, different people want to be successful for different reasons. Some want to be rich, some want to make an impact in the world. But I think the reason why we want to do it is just because we feel that we have our responsibility uh, to do great things. Were your parents surprised when you started your own company? <laughs> it's hilarious. So <laughs> they were they were not surprised. They were terrified. Um, and in fact, they thought that this was a small project for a while. Um, at some point, Shilpa's parents were traveling in South America, and they were going to take a stop in Ecuador. And so, of course, they had to meet my oh. father. <laughs> and they went uh, for, for a long lunch uh, at my house. And the outcome of that was that they were all discussing how, you know, these two girls, because they still think we're young and girls, and uh, <laughs> this is not a real true career, you know, are building their dollhouse and, you know, just like <laughs> having fun. And uh, we were like, yeah, that's great. Like, you guys think that that's exactly what we're doing here in yeah. San Francisco. Um, no, I think that, you know, through time and just the milestones that we've hit, they couldn't be more impressed that, uh, we you have know, the about same what thing. we're doing. Yeah. yeah, it switches really quickly Real at quick. some point. That was like, I always knew. Yeah. It's like, no, you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> How do you guys divide and conquer? Who does what? It's so funny at the beginning because I always thought there's no creative side on me. And then I think Shilpa, uh, she leans more on her creative side. But turns out we both have both sides of our brains. And uh, when we exercise the one that we think we're weak at, it actually becomes a great asset to the table. So we, we are able to toggle between just I would say about everything. We do have our areas of expertise. Um, the way that we approach the business today is Shilpa is, is, um, is focused on marketing, business development, and storytelling. You know, she's a great way of jumping between kind of teams and projects and just leading a lot of our big efforts. And uh, from my end, I am, you know, just overseeing 
um, every function. <laughs> she's the CEO. She basically does everything else. Like I always joke that we should buy her a shirt that just says La Jefa, right? Like her mom, because <laughs> um, that's what she is. Um, so we, uh, like I think we have a good combination of the, like I'm very 80-20, though I've become more detailed through Carla's influence over time. Um, she's definitely more 20-80 and detailed. Was there a debate over who should be CEO? Not at all. Um, not like I like did it like it was um, I was happy to follow her charge it made it very clear like um, you know I love that she's the final decision maker so I want to like I want to dig into that because at the end of the day like you are co-founders like this is both of your babies so probably I'm going to say 99.9% of the time you probably really like the decision and trust the decision but is there a time where you're like I don't agree and you're and uh, Carla you're like well I'm the CEO has that happened yeah, absolutely. And it's but that's like also what makes it um I think healthy, right? Like that to have like if we agreed all the time I would be worried, mm-hmm. right? Like there are definite moments where mm-hmm. I mean we're developing a brand, which is an emotional thing, yeah. right? And it's a subjective thing. You can't really say that there's well, one right answer. I guess what I'm digging into is like yeah. Danielle and I disagree all the time, but we I can say, well, I'm the CEO. Like, yeah. We're co-CEOs. So I'm just curious like have you had a moment where you've had to say, well, like, well, I am the CEO. You know, the thing is, is that also as the CEO, you have to take the accountability. So, yes, like there might be times where I disagree and, you know, Carla chooses to go a different direction, but she also ultimately has to own that direction. I mean, I'm always there to support her and I'm not saying that I ever don't shoulder that responsibility or take that lightly. Um, But, you know, like at the end of the day, if she's held accountable for it, I have to um, immediately at the moment where there is a disagreement on the direction, like put that aside and and give her my thousand percent support. Right. Like she she is our, you know, captain. So (laughs) how do you guys um, disagree and commit? I guess it's it's a question for you, Shelba. Is that part of the culture? And if so, how do you guys disagree with each other? Yeah. So I think this is when probably from like a marriage perspective, our biggest learning, right? Like um, figuring out exactly how to do that and coming back together again, because we're also very close personal friends. So making sure that the professional and personal stay separate. Um, And I think the main thing that we've realized is that whenever that happens, we need to talk right away. We need to take a moment, find it. Um, You know, I've learned over time, like, um, be a little patient, like wait till she has an opening. Um, but you know, we we need to discuss it right away and um, and make sure that we're we're okay with one another before you know, like it festers and becomes something bigger than it should be. Because most of them are pretty black and white decisions, and so um, you know, like as long as we resolve it right away, we're going to be okay. Do you guys have red lines like for your partnership, like things that you decided from the outset are just like things you will not do? I don't think we've ever like spell those out. I think that was part of, you know, your first question when it comes to how did we decide to work together and just those personal values that are very clear in terms of just, you know, being honest with each other. And um, I think, you know, what, what's changed is the relationship of founders to CEO and and non-CEO. That is a an evolution that happens through time where it's just the two of us and then, oh, there's one more person, another more person. Now our company has more than 100 employees, right? And what the, what is that dynamic? Who makes the decision? Do we ask Carla? Do we ask Shilpa? Um, and and so, so all of that has gone through an evolution where it's established clarity. And I think that um, we haven't said the don'ts. I think we've established the do's. And um, one of the biggest 
things that um, that is really important for us is there's always best intentions and we always have to come back to remembering that. So even if we have feedback to give to each other, which we give each other all the time, which goes back to Shilpa saying that we have to talk all the time, being able to hear that feedback, knowing the other person has the best um, intention at hand. And I think going through so many experiences together where we have each other's back, no matter what, knowing that the business is the most important thing and we're always making the best decision for the business, it really what matters. And sometimes what's best for the business is not the best for you know either of us personally. And we have to live with it and support then each other on the personal side separately from the business. But um, I think that clear delineation of business and personal is also very important. When you look back in the last few years, what's been the hardest moment for you guys as co-founders? There have been, a, I mean, there have been a couple, like when Carla partnered with me, I had a six-month-old baby, right, or, or a four-month when he, we first started, um, you know, at a three-and-a-half-year-old, right? I still had a semester of school left. There was a lot of risk that she took on, um, a lot of vision um, <laughs> in order to see that this was going to make it through. And I think one of the early trips, we actually went to India um, for my first collection. It was our third c- collection as a company. And um, I had to bring my mom, my husband. I mean, it was India. Like, I had to see family. And there was a moment where she's like, look. And that's when we established one of those red lines very early where she's like, look, let's never mix family and business again <laughs> um, because this is insane. Like, I understand that we have to go to your uncle's house for dinner, but we have supplier meetings, you know, like, um, and so like that, like, so, you know, there were moments like that. And it was like a real like, wake up call that, you know, like certain parameters had to be set, and it wasn't going to be always what was best. What do you guys say, you know, we get asked this all of the time, and I'm curious your reaction. A lot of people come to us for advice and say, like, I'm looking to start a business and I'm looking for a co-founder. I'm sure you get asked the same thing. How do you advise or mentor others about how to find a co-founder or not to find a co-founder? It is so hard. I mean, I, I looked for a co-founder, right? And I, I decided Shilpa was the one. So I can say that uh, you may have to make a mistake to get to the right person. Um, because starting a business, for somebody who's never done it, is completely new. And then having a co-founder and learning what that relationship is, you can hear a lot theoretically. But until you put it in practice, you don't really, you don't necessarily know what what things you need compliments on but, and what things you need to be the same in, right? And, and and that is just, it's like a marriage. It's like dating. And to me, I think the best is to really try to do projects together before starting the actual business idea or maybe do a part of the business together, not necessarily commit, um, which is like dating before getting married uh, because a lot of things come up as you're working. And I think that Shilpa and I really liked each other because we did that project together. It's also like, just to add one thing, it's um, they have to inspire you every day right like they have to be the most like inspirational person because you can you guys know you can outgrow the company can outgrow employees quickly right and outgrowing a co-founder is like going to be a really hard thing um so at at the one thing i can say is that every single day this woman inspires me right that is so nice carly you don't say that to me (laughs) you don't say it to me That is really well, nice. Well, you inspire us. Oh, thanks, thanks guys. And you inspire you us. You can come back <laughs> you whenever. Too. You too. <laughs> well, I had an embarrassing thing happen to me last week. What? Did you forget your underwear and have to send someone to get it for you? Close. What I did forget is I went to the gym and I wore workout clothes and then I forgot a bra, which made it a really awkward day at work. But what it really made me grateful for 
not only for bras, but also for third love. Because third love is the best, easiest, and most convenient way to go bra shopping without the hassle. Here's how it works. Use Third Love's online fit finder quiz to answer a few simple questions and you find your fit in 60 seconds. And the quiz helps you identify your breast size so you can order styles that fit your body. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they are offering skimmed from the couch listeners 15% off their very first order. Go to thirdlove.com skim right now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash skim for 15% off today. So let's talk about one of the things that's really, really fucking hard and that I think tests every relationship within the company, which is fundraising. Money. Money. (laughs) Money. Um, Let's talk about fundraising. Did you guys always know you wanted to raise venture? What was the decision like to take outside capital? We raised venture a year into the business, and sorry, let me just even uh, take one step back. Um, both Shilpa and I bootstrapped, so we actually both took a loan from our parents and put it into the business and put that money to work. And it turns out that the money was producing more money and that there was demand. But in order to actually make, you know, create a real brand, we, we needed more money. We needed to build a supply chain. We needed to create an online store. We needed more. And so um, so that was the trigger to go out and raise money and, and raise around. At that time in 2011, 2012, um, venture capital funds were not investing in brands or companies that made product or held inventory. So it was a really difficult proposition to put on the table. And, and it, it was very difficult. I'd say that we raised for a long time and probably 95% of the people that we met with would get lost after five minutes. As soon as they would hear the words, would hear the words inventory, brand, uh, <laughs> emotional uh, connection. Emotional connection. They'll be like, Storytelling. Uh, okay, what's the technology behind this? Or <laughs> And so it was really hard to, number one, find the type of investor who would not, you know, who would understand what brand and emotional connection and consumer behavior and shopping behavior meant or at least have an idea of that. Uh, and then the second piece was somebody that would actually see value and see the white space in the market in terms of this product offering that the consumer really needed at that point. And that's the, the, the nuance. Um, we, the question is always, what is the consumer need? There was a need. I just think it was really hard for, for people to see that in a market that was called crowded. Uh, but there were no high quality products at the price points that we were putting into the market. In prepping for this interview, we were reading, and tell me this is true, that you focused on working with female partners only at VC firms. That's how we evolved it. We evolved the process to that because, again, you know, it wasn't clicking at the beginning. We would lose people right away. And we to to get to the mid the depth of our business model, we needed to start with this is our brand, this is what we're going for, and that's when we would lose people, and we needed investors to understand that, and so that we can move into the supply chain, into our unit economics, into our repeat rates, and all of those um, really great metrics. And so we realized, well, this is a brand for women. Let's pitch to women because then we can get through those like first two slides and get into the business model. But we laugh at this story, but whoever was the creator of this pin board. 
uh, we love this person and we don't know who it is. In fact, we should go back and look who created this Pinterest board. But back then, Pinterest was booming. And there was this board that we found with um, all the female investors in the U.S. Wow. And so that oh became our target list. And it was hilarious. Yeah. I mean, now amazing. you can yeah. Google anything. But yeah. at the time, like yeah. there was like one partner yeah. and only like, you know, 5% of the firms. Um, and they pinned every single one of them. So we went after the whole list of yeah. like, I think Even there were angels. Nine. Yeah, even angel investors. We talk about fundraising a lot on on this podcast from our own experiences to other founders like yourself who have recently raised money. And we kind of all share this mutual understanding of like, oh, my God, it sucks. Or like, oh, my God, congrats, you got through that. But I don't think we've ever explained to our listeners and those who are not as familiar with the ins and outs of raising venture capital and raising money why it sucks. So I would love to hear from you guys. Um, I'd love for you to explain, like, what is so painful about this process? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, I would say the hardest thing is going into a meeting room and getting your business model stripped stripped down, right? And just by, by the end, potentially losing all confidence of what you're doing, having to leave that meeting, gain confidence again, see if question what you're doing and then decide whether you're still in it or not or whether you have to change something about your business model or not before you go into the next and having to go through that process over and over and over again um, is, 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 is really hard because uh, being an entrepreneur requires guts and those meetings can take those away for a little bit. I think it also questions um – you go in as an entrepreneur and you have such a clear mission and vision, right? And part of being an entrepreneur is having this attitude, like, you may not get it, but I see it. And then you go into a meeting and they're like, I don't see what you see and <laughs> I'm not going to give you any money, so therefore you're wrong. Um, Shilva, how do you cope with that type of feedback, <laughs> to it, put it nicely? It was really hard. I mean, it felt like a gut punch every single time, right? Like, and you have to sit there, like, you have to actually take some of the nuggets of what they were saying and then incorporate it back in so that you don't get the next, you know, the same kind of glassy look in the next meeting, right? And that I think that was the hardest part is just like figuring out what do we hold to be sacred, right? So what parts of our business will we never change? And we had to define those things and what parts that, like were feedback actually relevant. And so at the end of every meeting, I think one thing that we did that was really good and could help uh, maybe the listeners is that we would ask them after they would say they're not going to invest, um, and, you know, and everybody's relaxed because that that, you know, elephants out of the room that we would say like, hey, what can we do better? Like, what do you actually think? And then they would really be a little bit more candid and share their feedback. And so and then we would just incorporate that into the next round. Um, and once we were very crystal clear on what we wouldn't sacrifice, then it became a little easier. Like we had to we had to believe in certain things. Um, but until we found that one person whose eyes lit up and understood the business need and saw us as legitimate businesswoman, which is also really hard, right? Because they're like, oh, two girls in fashion, woohoo, like, you know, like you're going to go shopping around the world. Like they just didn't take the model seriously. But once we found that one person, then then we were unstoppable because we knew that we could do it. So you just announced your Series C, raised $30 million. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. It's not a small amount of money. What And you brought two big partners to the table. So what do HIG Growth and D-Luxury brands bring to you guys? How are they going to take you guys to the next level? So, you know, after that first round, which was super, super painful, um, we, we didn't raise that money to burn through it and then have to redo that process all over again. The business has been built incredibly thoughtfully so that we 
do not depend on money, first of all, to run the business. And so this path to profitability and uh, was was very clear from the beginning. And and I'm saying all of this because this round we're taking, um, it's a growth round. So we are a profitable business. We are Congratulations. Business, oh, thank you. We're a business that's thriving from a growth perspective. And um, the type of partners that we, you know, that we considered bringing in uh, were partners that can, can are experts in or, or have expertise um, growing uh, business both digitally and brick and mortar. And that combination is incredibly hard to find those two things. And I think that their operators, uh, a large part of the team, they've been operators, they've built brands, they've uh, built brands digitally and um, brick and mortar. Um, and then also, uh, you know, from, from HIG side, they've helped uh, businesses grow really well th- um, through online channels. And so the combination of those two things make this um, a really great partner for us for the next phase where we've built something great and now we just want to magnify it even more than what we already have. And um, and that requires a lot. It's, um, you know, it's easy to say, well, just going to invest the money on growth. But to grow, there's a lot that goes into the backbone of the business, our systems, our technology, our data, and how that all integrates to continue to provide an incredible experience and product to our customers. So it's time for our favorite last segment. It's the lightning round. Uh, So we ask you questions. The idea is to answer as best as you can. Ready? Okay. Okay, we're going to go Shilpa, then Carla. Okay. Shilpa, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Um, A designer. Carla. A pediatrician. Hmm. Shilpa, what was your college major? Design. Carla. Applied math. Shilpa, first job. Uh, Baskin Robbins scooping ice cream. Driving the shuttle at Brown University and knocked a mirror off. (laughs) (laughs) Worst job. Um, I worked at a Korean advertising agency that was starting a technology product. It was way too many politics involved. I uh, washed dishes at the kitchen of Brown as well, and it was just really hard to never make things clean enough. I'm I'm OCD. Shelpa, what is the worst professional mistake you ever made? Oh, man. Um, that's so hard. Can Carla go first? Yeah. <laughs> Carla. Wow. Thanks, <laughs> Let me think. Worst professional mistake? Not keeping in touch with uh, people I've, I've worked with before because uh, when I have, it's those relationships can keep growing outside of the workplace. I'm going to pass. Okay. New rule. This is not anti code. We don't need to plead the fifth. I was going to say, do we have one plead the fifth? We're going to think about that. (laughs) Um, First phone call when you get good news Um, to my mom. My dad. First phone call when you get bad news to Carla. (laughs) Yeah. Shilpa. This is why we're co founders. Oh, actually, I call my husband too. Depends, but usually he's with me. I do love you. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) When is the last time you negotiated for yourself? Um, uh, For ourselves personally or work? Oh, Um, I think we negotiate every single day. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, you're negotiating at home, you're negotiating at work. Like you always have to advocate for yourself. That's such a good answer. I was just going to go back to when we negotiated something at home last December. But um, yeah. I'm impressed, Shilpa. You impress me every day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Shilpa, go-to interview question when you're hiring someone. Um, If you're an animal, what kind of animal would you be and why? 
How do you judge that? Um, I had I asked that in an interview once, and someone said a sloth, and I was like, "Wow, wow. we're not hiring you." Yeah, oh my if God. they can't, because it ch- it tests creativity, it, it you know just like problem wow. solving. That puts is them on the, the spot. worst answer. Why I know. would they ever say that? I have yeah. no idea, but it was clearly indicative because everything else in the interview was going well. Oh, interesting. <laughs> For me, um, what were you like as a teenager? Oh, I, I like to get deep into the drives of people and yeah. who they were. Okay, this was something that. Before we were able to raise money, people were um, taken aback that there were two of us and had a lot of concerns about a co-founder relationship. And one of the tests that we got um, in a VC meeting was it was time to order lunch. And they said, Carly, you order for Danielle. And Danielle, you order for Carly. So we're going to ask you guys this. Shilpa, order for Carla. Oh, so easy. I actually do this all every day. So um, she would love a salad with any kind of avocado and make sure that there is um, a cheese, preferably cheddar. That sounds good. <laughs> Depends on how Shilpa's feeling. Nowadays, I know that she would like to order a salad with chicken, olives, um, egg, and lots of avocado. And she will, yeah, that's, that's what you'll I'm, get now. I'm trying the keto thing. That's uh, what I was. Okay. And then on the usual time, she would love like warm, like noodles or <laughs> just hearty things that depends on the day ramen ramen mm. <laughs> um shilpa what drives you um to really i think it goes back to like your question about uh our value system and our hardworking. um you know why we're so hardworking. my grandfather um he basically begged for two rupees a month to go to school Right. And so um, I think every day and even just recently going to India, realizing that there's no difference between me or pretty much everyone there and that that opportunity um, that I have, um, you know, is something I should take advantage of. Carla? Oh, yeah. Mine is the same. I, I have a huge sense of responsibility to the world. I, you know, most people in the world don't have the opportunities that that we have right now. And my drive is to take advantage of, of it as much as possible and keep building great things while still being a good and kind person. Uh, and that's that those, that's one of the values internally at Kuyana. And we drive for excellence, but just always keeping our, our values as good people there so that we can just continue to do good for the world. Last question. What's your shameless plug? Um, so we just launched, um, a body collection. I think we sent you a couple Ooh. pieces that I'm are, um, we are waiting for yeah. that. I'm very excited. Um, and I just, um, like our products are, um, you can, we are better than we even look and we look amazing. Um, the quality is just insane. And once you, once you go Kuyana, you can't go back. I will say the quality is incredible. Um, and so really just, um, I think our body line's amazing. I think our bags are amazing and, um, yeah, like it's it truly is for your better things through and through. Awesome. Gosh, this is where my Ecuadorian side comes out. What's a shameless plug? <laughs> <laughs> what Shelpa just did. Like, what do you want promote our listeners something. to do? Oh, yeah. what do we want to promote? Um, yeah, I can only promote our product line. But if I were to pick... Um, just any of our bags. I think the way that we go about designing our bags is we think of um, a woman that needs to feel confident and sophisticated, but also we need all of this hidden functionality. Uh, and so we just hide all of these things that just make that bag perfect, but still look clean. Um, and I can vouch for each one of our work bags, and it just depends what type of job or how your day goes. We both travel with your work bags. Oh, <laughs> great. Um, well, on that note, thank you both. Uh, I will say you both inspire us. Uh, this was wonderful. So thank you so much, and congratulations. 
Congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M.com. Two M's for a little something extra. Carly, how is spring cleaning going for you? Because I was just at your apartment and I was just wondering. Well, I think you answered that question yourself. Oh, did I? You did. Okay, because I feel like the best part about refreshing your home for the spring is when that refresh hits your bookshelf. I agree. And speaking of refreshing and very uplifting things, here's a title of a book we really like, The Hill to Die On. (laughs) (laughs) Great title from some of our favorite people. It's a new one from Jake Sherman and Anna Palmer of Politico. And it takes you behind the scenes of the Trump admin, all the secret strategy calls and closed door meetings going down in D.C. We're linking it in the show notes so you can check it out. And if you need more ideas on how to hit reset this spring, we've skimmed it for you. Just go to theskim.com slash spring to see more. That's theskim.com slash spring. Okay, that's it. We'll see you next week.